The healthcare fallout. Why did police call off the sting at the governor's mansion? And the feds give Ohio risk-free rail money. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Reginald Fields, Statehouse Bureau Chief for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, Emily Reamer, political reporter for ABC6 and Fox 28, Terry Casey, Republican political consultant, and Sam Gresham of Common Cause Ohio. Some 150,000 people in Franklin County do not have health insurance, so it stands to reason that they will benefit the most from the health care reform law signed this week. So will graduating college students and other young adults who can stay on their parents' insurance, and so will people with pre-existing conditions. They can't be denied coverage. But upper income earners will have to pay higher Medicare taxes, and everyone will have to buy health insurance eventually. Emily Reamer... It affects a lot of people in Ohio. Mm -hmm. What's the feeling out there? A lot of people in Ohio, you know, it depends on who you talk to, as with anything. When you talk to the community health care centers, you know, in Columbus alone, they treated 15,000 uninsured patients just last year. So for them, they're saying we get these folks insured, they come in earlier, we focus on prevention, we can avoid illnesses later. Um, On the other hand, you know, you've got some folks that say, I can't pay for this. You know, how am I supposed to do this and why should I have to be taxed for it? So we've already seen challenges popping up. Uh, We've got a push to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot in November in order to uh, put something in the state constitution that would block it. And we've also got two state senators now introducing (coughs) a bill to block it as well. You know, you speak to constitutional lawyers who say there's a supremacy clause in the U.S. Constitution that says federal Trump state. So I'm really not clear on whether or not this will even work. I think one of the big factors is what's it cost and who's going to pay. The governor of Indiana today in the Wall Street Journal outlined in his state, Indiana, the costs are going to be hundreds of millions of dollars more in Medicaid costs because a lot of what this bill does, it makes big promises that people get covered. Temporarily, they're going to provide some money for Medicaid, the state government, to cover it. But over the next 10 years, the costs are going to be significant on states, unless you got a Cornhusker discount or a mm-hmm. Florida goodie. Uh, how much is it going to cost Ohio in future Medicaid costs? But isn't this what we always hear in major new legislation? I mean, the sky is falling when Social Security came along. The sky is falling when Medicaid came along. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Well, the sky didn't fall. It was still here. We may have some deficit in the program. Um, I think this was a transformative uh, thing in our country, and I think it was important. Now, it has some issues, and I I think before it's over, there will be some courts ratifying it. But in 1937, they said the same thing about Social Security. So uh, let's see the substance, let's get out of the politics, and let's move on. Reggie, how how are lawmakers viewing these attempts to, you know, thwart the federal legislation, have Ohio not have these mandates? Is, is it seen as a serious attempt, or is it still as partisan as it was on Capitol Hill? Well, I think it's, it's still very partisan. Um, I th- Emily is correct. I mean, there there was, was legislation introduced this week by two Republican uh, lawmakers, and it still seems to be that it, it, it's very partisan because uh, the ones who want to do something about it are largely Republicans. Uh, our Democratic Attorney General has not joined the other Attorney Generals in other states mm-hmm. who have, have filed some sort of 
you know, a mandate or anything to try to block this. So it's it's going it's a it's a partisan issue. From a healthcare standpoint, on the Today Show Monday, their medical expert, I think Dr. Nancy Steiderman, made the point: how you get medical care is going to change in the future. There's going to be a lot more what she called docs in a box at a pharmacy. Uh, you're going to see a lot more nurses instead of seeing a medical doctor. Because one of the key points in this law, it adds 16,000 more IRS agents, but the law itself doesn't add any more medical doctors. And when you've got 32 million more people wanting free medical care, something's got to give. Well, won't economics and economic theory, if the demand is there, the, the supply will come along. I mean, people will go into this profession and... But you if know. you talk to real doctors and how they've been frozen on what they get out of Medicaid and Medicare over the last 10 years, there's no big incentive there to doctors to be GPs uh, because of how the squeeze. The federal government always promises more and then cuts it on the back of the doctors and expects them to do more with less. But there's scholarship money in here. Um, and there will be adjustments in the uh, medical schools to meet the need ac ac across the board. There's no other country that's gone to this type of system, and the rest of them have gone to single-payer or sing single-payer-like system where they've had a shortage of doctors. So I don't anticipate that. My favorite quote, I forget which congressperson, which machine it was left on, where the woman said, I love my insurance company. And that really struck me because, mm -hmm. I mean, it's the, people complain about the government taking over health care, but insurance companies... You're not, you know, there's no love fest for the, your health insurance companies going on right now. Well, well, the insurance companies have got their problems, but part of it is everyone wants unlimited medical attention. And when they've got a parent uh, or a spouse that's got a medical problem, they want anything and everything done. But if you talk to people in Canada, you look at the system in England, uh, there's going to have to be some rationing because, again, there are not enough doctors to handle all the increased demand. And when it's free, people always want and use it more than if they've got to pay for it. Pre-existing conditions, no more disqualifications. Well, I'm going to tell you personally, I have 26 things on the list that made me very happy, and 14 of those things affect my family members personally. So I'm happy to see uh, these things in place. I'm going to be honest, I didn't get what I wanted. I wanted a single payer, but that was too far to the left. Uh, and I didn't get a, a public option, but I'm happy with some of the components. and. I think when we hear people complain, um, I don't think they put the, the left in to that complaining, everybody thinks it's people on the right, but there are people on the left who are complaining who didn't get a public option or a single player, so the number of people complain now. But as the information gets out about what's in this, like I said, 26 things I like and four term, 14 of them affect my family, I think more people are going to like it. I think that's part of the problem too, that people don't even really know what's in it. I mean, you know, we actually printed it out on Friday, 2,300 pages. It weighs 15 pounds. I got my workout for the day when I walked around with it. But people, you know, n they don't know specifically what's in it. We got a lot of hits saying, you know, do I have to get rid of my insurance? Can my employer get rid of my, my insurance? So I think, you know, to your point, you just kind of have to wait and see. You know, mm -hmm. he signed it. doesn't look like it's going to get repealed anytime soon. So we're... I, I would agree. It's not going to get repealed soon, but the more people discover about the details, and just yesterday when the president arrived in Iowa, uh, John Deere, their biggest manufacturing employee, announced, because all these corporations are going to have to report how much more it's going to cost them, and today AT&T announced for their retirees and their employees they're going to trim back a lot of their existing health care coverage and benefits because they can't afford the added cost because all these requirements, it costs money.
I was just going to say, I, I think a good reason why people don't know exactly what's in it is, is because of the, the, the partisan bickering that took place in Washington. It took all the focus away from what is actually in the bill. What were they actually trying to accomplish there? Because all of the fighting that was going on between the two parties there, no one would give an inch, and, and they ended up having to do some parliamentary you know, procedures yep. just to get it across. Let's get to that. The partisan infighting into the politics. Mary Jo Kilroy voted for the health care bill. Zach Space voted no. They were the two Central Ohio Democratic House members we were watching to see what they would do. Democratic Senate candidates Jennifer Bruner and Lee Fisher support the new law. GOP candidate Rob Portman denounces it, but he stops short of pushing for a repeal as other Republicans have done. Sam Gresham on the politics. Might Democrats have won the battle but will lose the war in November? I think Reggie is right. Uh, one of the biggest problems that occurred in the health care debate over the last year was there was not enough information about what was being debated. Um, I think that caused the problem in the polls. I think as the presidents and the Democrats get out across the country and they begin to tell some people uh, what's in that 906 pages and all those sections of information, people are going to find pieces that they're going to like. And when the Republicans talk about replace and repeal, well, let's look at the numbers. You need 40 members of the Senate, you need 113 members of the House, and you need the President of the United States to sign the whatever repeal bill you have. I know there's a court case that's going to go through the court and it's going to talk about the Commerce Clause in the Constitution and, and whether that applies. Now, to be honest with you, there's never been a precedent established for this type. Now, there are two uh, uh, precedents. One, 1937 Social Security, and most people don't see that as something that was required. And uh, frivolous as it may be, a state uh, licensing insurance for cars is all mandated. So I don't know what the courts are going to do, but I think as the politics gets out into the community and people find out what's in there, I think more people are going to like it than dislike it. Yeah, you know, in, in addition to the Democrats, I mean, certainly the Republicans have made it clear that they're going to target the Democrats, but I'm not so sure that the Republicans are in the clear either because there was a complete lack of civility uh, last weekend uh, or surrounding this vote with, you know, the, the vandalism and, and other issues that took place. And I think a lot of people are going to associate that uh, with the Republicans, the sort of the sore, the sore loser mentality. Um, that's going to have to, you know, that's, that's the lasting impact that a lot of people are going to take away from this until we learn more about what is actually in the health care um, bill itself. But the more we find what it costs, in today's Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. the state treasurer in the state of Massachusetts, the bill that went through there uh, was supposed to cost taxpayers $88 million a year. Now they found out that the health care costs are going to be $4 billion. The problem is they've lowballed the costs, and it's going to cost a lot more, whether it's state governments, whether it's employers, and we're going to have a big economic fact because you can't have 36 million more people covered unlimited care for free. I think it's hard to know, though, what will happen because voters voters vote on what happens, not what might happen. And so six months from now, in November, six months when all that stuff kicks in, when your 26-year-old can stay on your insurance policy, when those seniors get that $250 rebate to fill the donut hole, and it's suddenly election time, what's going to stick in their minds? And right. that cost may come, you know, to your, I'm not saying it won't, but it may come well, further co down the line. Taxes go up in 2013. Uh, the uh, Cadillac tax on the, on the, on the nice and 
insurance policies, not the 2018. So. If, if they actually approve it then, because yeah. Congress has a great history of saying we'll cover the costs later, yeah. but then when they're faced with the tax hike. This is one time I agree with Terry. This has been a couple other times. So <laughs> <that's okay. laughs> well, this is one time I agree. I think the defining issue is going to be cost. Yes. what it cost in the premium yep. to get this and the overall whether this thing succeeds or not. When it kicks in, if it's at a reasonable, affordable cost, it's, it's going to be okay. But if it goes through the roof, then it's not going to be Zach okay. Zach Space was an interesting guy to watch because he voted for the first House health care bill. He voted against this one saying that this Cadillac tax on nice insurance policies was going to hurt his constituents. Two days after, maybe it was even one day, two days after the vote on health care, he held a conference call saying he was vehemently opposed to NAFTA. I mean, that's like Zach Space calling a news conference saying the sun rises in the east. <laughs> I mean, what, what was the point of that? We all know he opposes NAFTA. <laughs> what does it have to do with health care? <laughs> well, say, obviously, he's trying to attack to the right to help him get reelected, I would guess. Uh, Zach's got a tough district because it's actually about a 53% index year. And Zach originally got elected because of a Bob Nay scandal. He's not running against Bob Nay, and now he's going to... But he was reelected after that, too. Right, but it was really a kind of a nothing opponent in a big Democrat year of 08. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the tide has turned, and independents in particular are not happy with the Democrat Party anymore. That's one of the big trends we saw in New Jersey and Virginia. Let me ask you this, Terry. What would have been better for Republicans? Had the health care bill failed on Sunday night, or that it won on Sunday night? Uh, that's an excellent question, and it's a little <laughs> bit of this and a little bit of that. One thing I will say is the actual repeal is not going to happen uh, because part of the reason Sam mentioned, uh, but this issue is not going to go away because actually the bigger thing that bothers people is where are we going fiscally because our, uh, our country it's the official debt's $12 billion, but we're really $76 trillion when you count all the unfunded Social Security, Medicare, and all the other financial obligations. We're kind of a big version of Greece, and we're going to get hit with one heck of a financial tsunami. But Terry, think about it. Had we not had two wars and all the tax cuts, we'd have had lots of money to pay for all of this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to our third topic. Two Ohio Highway Patrol officers this week testified the patrol's superintendent canceled a contraband sting near the back gate of the governor's mansion. The investigators told the Senate Judiciary Criminal Justice Committee they were told the original order came from the governor's public safety director, Kathy Collins-Taylor. The investigators maintained their higher-ups wanted to keep this case quiet. The case, as you probably know by now, is that police suspected a work release inmate working at the governor's mansion was set to receive contraband, possibly drugs, from his wife. Police set up a sting to catch them, but then they canceled it. Reggie Fields, the governor still denies having anything to do with this decision to stop this raid or sting. Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, I mean, what we heard this week was... Um three, actually, uh, of ours, a retired major, uh, a captain, and a sergeant, who all were directly involved in planning that particular detail, and who all testified that they were flabbergasted um, by being told a day ahead that they were not to go forward because, essentially, it would cause political embarrassment for the governor. Now, the governor's uh, administration has, has basically denied that, saying that that was not the case, and uh, essentially uh, made the point that the Highway Patrol uh, investigators still to this day have no idea what they were actually even investigating. Uh, they know contraband. They say drugs. The administration says tobacco. 
you don't know what you're investigating, so why should we allow this crime to occur, uh, you know, within steps of the governor is, is their response. And Reggie did a very good story this week in The Plain Dealer summarizing all this. The dispatch has done a great job of the reporting because they've pulled together all the emails and the finger points at a guy that I mentioned on February 19th, Kent Marcus, the governor's chief counsel. Because basically, when you read through the emails, you read through the other stories, the Highway Patrol major made the point he's never seen political interference like this. It all points back to Kent Marcus, the governor's chief lawyer, basically telling the highway safety or the public safety director, don't do your job. We don't want law enforcement to arrest anybody because the governor might be embarrassed. Well, and the administration, you know, has, as you had said, you know, they say that Marcus never said that, that it, I feel at this point it's become sort of a he said, she said between the two agencies. And it strikes me, you know, what impact this has on morale in, you know, for all, for all those troopers. I mean, this is something that they get into and a lot of them feel very strongly about honor and, you know, that, that they're there to do a service. And, you know, when the former superintendent stepped down, on the same day, I think it was, as the former deputy, you know, yes. Department of Public Safety director, it was to get rid of this kind of thing. Well, and now it seems as though it was something different, but different it's, you know, it seems as though um, it's back. A, does it, there is an undercurrent with the governor's right. management of the public safety forces. And how much of that undercurrent is pulling at this well, I, outrage and this investigation? And I think the, the whole complaints thing is the question, how did it seep out to the public that this was going on? There's some people suspicious about that. And, and let's be real. If I was the governor, I would not want that happening on a program that our governor has been very supportive of for a person to behave like that, to spill over into the public domain. Now, the question of the integrity of uh, law enforcement, that gets lost in the political realities of the world. I'm sorry. And one of the persons we talked about this before, Tom Rice, was a former Highway Patrol superintendent. Uh, he became superintendent when Dick Celeste was governor. He wrote a letter to Tom Charles saying this needed to be investigated, and he used the specific term about obstruction of justice. Law enforcement officers like to do their job, and they're not afraid to arrest people and put them in jail if they've done wrongdoing. But they're and not above politics either, Terry. Let's get to you, Inspector Joe. Go ahead, Richard. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think you your question really hits it on the head. I mean, it really isn't so much just about this Governor Manchin uh, issue, um, because really, at this point, they can't prove whatever they were doing there. I mean, if it was tobacco, it wasn't even a crime. So they would have went through with a sting and probably charged a woman with trespassing And they would something. have been embarrassed. Right, and they would have been embarrassed. So really, the issue here is a string of other incidents that the Highway Patrol is saying that the Strickland administration has meddled in at some point along the way. That's, that's really what they're getting at. But let's get to our top fourth topic in our campaign 2010 roundup. The state Democratic Party decides to stay neutral until Democratic voters decide the Jennifer Bruner Lee Fisher Senate primary. Sam Gresham, why do parties endorse before a primary? I mean, because they, they, want, they want to support one candidate or another or to send a message. In this particular case, you have two strong candidates. Lee Fisher has a greater history in the Democratic Party than does Jennifer Bruno, and he has a larger base in Cuyahoga County. The question becomes uh, the whole structure of how they got there and what's the potential loss to the party is what the internal issue is to the party. And as you well know, they had hoped that Jennifer would go back and run for secretary. That's not happening. We're going to go through this primary. And, and people are wondering, will that affect uh, Lee Fisher's run at the Senate? Will it leave the Democrats open 
to uh, losing an office that's important and rejoin the districts. So it's quite a quagmire right now for the Democrats. But Democrats tell me part of the problem, Lee Fisher's internal polling shows he's not doing as well because he expected to be way ahead of Jennifer Bruner. They're running neck and neck. And so he thought he needed the Democrat Party endorsement. But then Jennifer mo mobilized a lot of the Democrat activists to shut that down. Uh, but I think one sign of the apathy on the Democrat side just today in Summit County, the total number of requests for absentee ballots are 860 from Republicans and only 150 from Democrats. And in that Democrat of a county, it tells you there's a lot of uh, lack of interest in this primary. But then again, too, I think that, you know, real people, quote unquote, you know, don't necessarily pay attention to endorsements. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't think that they do. They just don't seem to care about them. And I also think, you know, you look at the polling and people don't know who they are. So I wonder how much of it plays, how much of that plays into it. Sir, I, I think you're, you're correct. I mean, I don't know that people care so much about the endorsement yeah. or who is endorsed, right. but what this would have did, though, it would have it caused a problem within the Democratic Party, right. and that's, that's the problem yeah. here. I mean, Lee Fisher was opening up a can of worms that this party did not want to have to address, and that is making a decision between the two, and Bruner knew that, and so she mobilized, and it, I mean, the last thing you want is for this primary to get completely, you know, nasty and ugly when you still have to go in November against face the Republic. Right. Let's get to our fifth right. topic. While the plans for 3C passenger rail are having trouble leaving the station, debate continues down the track. It came out this week the state has already spent money to study and promote the service, and the federal government now says Ohio officials can spend the $25 million in federal money to study it further, and it doesn't have to pay it back, even if the state doesn't build the train service. Terry Casey, it's a no-brainer. $25 million, study it more, and if, we don't, if it doesn't work out, we don't build it. Well, one of the questions that Bill Harris has is if we take the $25 million, are we obligated? Now his bigger question is, is the, are the people who are going to do this study, are they going to do an honest thing? And I've got a copy here of the GAO report from March of 2009. I mean, this is the Government Accounting Office, and they studied these things all across the country and the world, and they basically said, whether it's Amtrak or the others, they grossly underestimate the costs and the losses and overestimate the ridership. And is that the I same GAO that said that health care is going to be a cut the deficit? Uh, I'm not sure. It depends okay. on how you ask the questions. <laughs> well, but I did bring along a toy train that I've used before because this is the one train that will not have cost overruns and will arrive actually on town. Because another part of the GAO report said Amtrak basically 30% of the time it doesn't get there on time or even close. But Terry, isn't it a no-brainer that eventually given the, the cost of petrol, and our rail and transportation systems, we're going to need an alternative to trucks and cars. Is that not, is that not a no-brainer? Uh, that might happen, that might not happen, but the problem is if we take the $400 million we think is free money, and then we've got to spend another billion or billion and a half in cost overruns and operating subsidies over the next 20 years, and that would have to come out of Ohio's general fund. You can't use gas tax money under the Ohio Constitution to subsidize this type of train travel. And the other piece of the puzzle is ridership. I mean, if it's not fast enough and it's not cheap enough, people won't use it. And then you're stuck with a big but yet train other, system. And track reports its ridership is up with same s speed rail in other states and cities. I know there are differences, but it's. It's proven successful in Wisconsin, for instance. Well, but see, the route in Wisconsin is 86 miles from Chicago north 
through north suburbs and to Milwaukee. It's only 86 miles. This train's 255 miles. You can't have the what same about the whole frequency East of Coast service. corridor from Washington, D.C. to New York? That doesn't work? Different population densities. I know the density Different approaches on I, I, transit. I, 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 I'll, I'll concede you that. I, yeah. I, I definitely think people will ride it if it comes. Right. You know, regardless of the, whatever the speed is, they will ride it. I think Terry is correct, though. The, the issue they've really got to get their hands around is how much is it going to cost? Right. Because the, the state actually asks for more than $400 million to start yeah. with. They got $400 million, and now they're saying, well, we can work with that. Well, I mean, that's it's really efficiency, issue. right, Terry? Yeah. Well, in the 2002 study said it would really cost $710 million. See it? The price is going down. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions from the week for the weeks ahead. Reggie Fields, you're up first. Well, there's another primary that's of interest on the Republican side in the state auditor's race uh, between Dave Yost, who is the, the endorsed party candidate, and Seth Morgan. Um, from what I understand, Mr. Yost is running a pretty underwhelming race right now, and uh, not surprising if Mr. Morgan, who is backed by Tea Party um, endorsement, may uh, have a shot at this. Okay, Emily. Uh, well, the Buckeyes play tonight, and I've lived in this town long enough to know who you root for, so uh, I'm going to say the Bucks win uh, by 10. And you'll be brilliant if they have, if you watch <laughs> on Sunday morning, and, That's you know, right. next year if they lose. Terry. Uh, I'll disagree with Reggie on his auditor prediction, but my prediction is C-SPAN last week opened up all their 25 years of files, and people are going to discover in 2006, Ted Strickland promised that every one of his cabinet members, every day, the only thing they're going to think about is more jobs for Ohio, and that videotape is not going to look good in commercials later this year. Sam. I call the health care a boomerang for the Republican Party. I think it's going to boomerang on them in the fall elections. I don't think they're going to get as many seats in the House and the Senate as they believe. They may win some local elections, but I don't think you're going to see a sea change in the House or the Senate. I find it interesting in this gambling irony that supporters of moving the casino who opposed the casinos last fall are using the same tactics and trying to get the early vote out to move the casino to the west side. <laughs> it goes around, comes around in that debate. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Check out our website. You can get a preview of the topics, streaming video in case you miss an episode, a link to our Facebook page, and a link to our blog. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.